You're listening to the Hammer Horror Podcast, Countess Dracula. Hello, welcome to the Hammer Horror Podcast, this being our Vampire Tales edition. We're up to the sixth film instalment now of this uh, franchise, The Vampire Tales with Hammer Horror Films, and the film in question is Countess Dracula. Those that aren't familiar with the Hammer Horror Podcast sessions, uh, it's basically myself, Paul Farrell, and I team up with a fellow podcaster, and we talk about certain movies within the Hammer Horror Film franchise. As I said, this time around, it's Countess Dracula, and to join me in our discussions is fellow podcaster, Ben Skinner. Hello, Ben. Hello. Good to be here once again. Yeah, welcome back. Welcome back. So last time we had you on board, we were looking at The Vampire Lovers with... Ingrid Pitt. Yes. And the starring vehicle, uh, the star of that vehicle. My first... Um, and uh, here she is again. <laughs> my first exposure to Miss Ingrid Pitt. And yeah. I, it's safe to say I've become obsessed ever since. <laughs> nice. So this was a good second film to watch. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, before we kind of like kick into the film discussion, a bit of background on, on the subject of The Countess Dracula. It's really, really loosely based on a historical figure called Countess Bathory, and she was um, actually ended up being walled up in her own castle, having been found guilty of killing over 300 women. Um, and like people have um, likened her to the likes of, um, you know, um, Vlad the Impaler, um, and hence why there is this kind of Countess Dracula tag associated to it. With all our vampire film discussions, though, um, I mean, this one sits has has sit in there because purely because of the title alone, Countess Dracula. As far as its vampire references, it, there is none. So it is kind of a bit of a very loose, isn't it? That's yeah, right. I was thinking that round hole kind of is the is the vampire word even uttered in the film? No, I don't think it is. No, I don't think it's dropped. Uh, Devil woman is uttered, yes. and Countess well, I think Dracula. We have to, I think we end. have to wait right till the end. Yeah, right. that's right. Anyway, look. Um, so that's just a bit of a background. Yes, a bit of an odd, odd one, but because of where, how it has been labelled in the past, this is why it's included in the Vampire Tales edition. Now, let's uh, crack on with the plot, um, and feel free to comment along the way as we talk through this. Uh, the It's set in 17th century Hungary, and we have this opening scene, which has been atypical of their Hammer films, with this carriage uh, sequence. Oh, no, sorry. One of the early scenes has this carriage scene. We actually open with a funeral uh, scene, and there is this mysterious woman who's kind of completely um, in, dressed in black, you know, with a black veil. So she's evidently the wife of the uh, guy that's been buried. And we see this young guy turn up, and uh, she um, finds him of interest. And then there's this weird kind of close up of her looking up at him, and then we get the crash of the music coming in with the credits opening up. Um, but the, the immediately after that, there's, they're, they're leaving the, uh, the funeral and we get the kind of carriage kind of coming along and there's a, an old villager dude who's trying to beg her. I think that's what his name was in the credits as well. Old, old, old villager dude. Yeah, 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 something like that. <laughs> and he's, he's kind of trying to uh, get the, the Countess to I'd like help him and his family because they're poor and deprived of food and money. Um, and you know she just gets the carriage to kind of march on as it were and it runs the guy over and kills him instantly um, horrible death with a lot of like blood 
at that point and you know and you get the uh, I presume it's either a wife or fellow villager woman coming up um, to attend to him and then shouts after devil woman after the carriage so we're already uh, associated to, with the fact that this uh, Countess Elizabeth is not a very nice yeah. person. If the veil didn't give it away, if, yeah. if the running over the, the person didn't give it away, I think Devil Woman seals the deal. Yeah, there. yeah, that's it, that's it. Um, so after this, uh, I, it is important to add that the pacing of this movie is incredibly slow, I find. Um, it does, there's light pockets of not a lot happening between even the action sequences aren't necessarily action sequences per se um, so the next scene is like the um, it's kind of important because they're, they're sitting around waiting for the uh, the will to be um, read out and you know various things are given out to the main characters that we witness um, in this particular scene um, you know we have um, the the young kind of uh, chap that we saw in the opening sequence his name's Lieutenant Tot um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right um, and he kind of is given like all the the stables and the you know and, and the horses which it sounds like is quite a prominent um, and wealthy gift that his, has been bestowed to him from the guy that's passed away and the relationship between uh, this young guy and, and the gentleman that's, that has died is that they fought in the war together. They, you know, they were in the army together. So, and he's been held quite highly by, by the the gentleman that's passed away. Um, outside of that, it's just the normal kind of run of things that are kind of given away to people. But uh, importantly, is that the uh, the countess is has been given like the rest of the estate, but it's to be shared with their daughter. And um, which she, she doesn't most displeased. That yeah, it doesn't take too, too kindly to that being happening. I mean, she kind of tries to save Grace, but you can see that she's not happy with that announcement. Now the uh, we we then have this you know the, uh, this countess. Uh, she soon discovers um, shortly after this scene that her youthful appearance and libido can be temporarily restored. And this the reason that she you think oh, how how does one <laughs> find that out? Um, and there's a scene where uh, her handmaiden is running a bar for her and it's it's clearly too hot and she um, the handmaiden says you know it's ready for her to get in the bath but she can see it's clearly too hot and so she gets really angry and then grabs the handmaiden's hand thrusts it into the scalding water and burning her as and, you do yeah as you do and then she complain the handmaiden complains about that which is her right and at which point uh, the countess loses her temper and strikes the, the handmaiden across the face, cutting her, and her face is splashed with blood. Um, I, I thought at the time she must have hit her bloody hard to have got got that much uh, blood on her face. I thought the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of, and it was also, you know, the the moment of discovery itself. It's something that you would think would be quite a big deal mm. to discover such a thing. Yes, you know, the key to eternal youth. Uh, she doesn't seem awfully. Um, no, there's a, well, she sits down, doesn't she, at the at the mirror, and she starts dabbing her face with the with a cloth. Mm. And as she pulls it away, she can kind of see that her her aged skin is looking fresher. And she calls out to her servant. I want to say her name's Juliet, but why did I wrong? Um, that sounds right. I think it's Juliet, and and her kind of. Uh, would be assistant during the course of this this guy called Captain Doby 
and then you know she's like and uh, they uh, you know they come in and she kind of reveals to Juliet her youthful appearance um, and um, then hatches a plan that she needs to get this handmaiden back um, and asks the servant to do it but she kind of is begrudgingly wanting to do it so she kind of says well I'll do it myself and then uh, they go and grab the this handmaiden and then we are, aren't really shown what she does but cut to the next scene where Captain Davy appears and so Countess then reveals herself as this beautiful young woman and we're led to join the gap so to speak that she has killed this handmaiden and and uh, if you go by historical context, the, the, the real countess actually apparently bathed in, in the blood of these uh, virgin women. And so it's interesting that they have taken that inspiration yeah. to, for, for the film. It sort of lends it a bit more credibility, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Of, um, it does. And it's like, now this is something, I'll mention it here actually, because this became a bit of a, a battle between the director, Peter Sazdi and the Hammer producers about the direction that the movie should go. Now, Peter Sazdi wanted to keep quite truthful to the historical context, whereas the Hammer producers were like, we need more blood, more guts, more gore. It needs to be a typical of, a, a, mm. sorry, a typical um, Hammer film. In well, that yeah, sense. it's got it, um, without it. Without that, you know, it doesn't stand for what a Hammer horror kind of stands Which for, is where so. I feel this movie falls down slightly with this ongoing battle because I feel like the movie itself has a bit of a uh, an identity crisis as it goes yeah. through but we'll get to that I just thought I'd mention it at that point um, so yeah so look she's she um, you know she uh, then kind of reveals herself to Davy as this very strikingly beautiful woman as Ingrid Pitt is um, in the uh, what's become quite a famous kind of shot of her in that blue gown that she wears um, and you know, and then she kind of enlists uh, this Captain Doby character to help her with the kidnap of and murder of um, countless local girls, um, whilst whilst you know, basically using her sexual prowess with you know with him, you know, promising that they will be together, they will do these, you know, they will be intimate together. But in the, in the meantime, she has her eyes on the young Lieutenant uh, Tot character. And starts up um, an affair with him, um, and it's it's actually this infatuation she has with that with the Toad character that provides her the driving force for her l- lust for beauty, you know, and to regain that beauty, uh, which I found quite interesting. Once she starts, like you get the feeling like she just wants to become younger and younger. Yeah. Because even when she is rejuvenated as she is, she can she's still noticeably older. Yeah, Todd. yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. So I think the closer she can get age-wise to him, the better she she'll feel for it. Yeah, um, and that's something that goes up goes along the course of the film. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. And you know, it's, as as it turns out, every time she does this, um, she um, what we witness is that she transitions back back to her old self. But with every time she goes back, she looks remarkably older um, and more uglier really um, but at this stage you know she, she she's uh, she's getting this kind of Doby character to kind of help her um, 
and you know and, and as a cover for her rejuvenated state she takes on the identity of her own daughter um, who at this stage is supposed to be turning up everyone knows that she's been away for a period of time but she's due to come back and in order to um, prevent her daughter from turning up they basically um, uh, hire a guy to kidnap her and keep her hidden in the woods with this kind of dude <laughs> um, this there's no dude. other way to, to, yeah. to describe him really um, um, so she's kind of her own daughter's been like banished away essentially and so she takes on the guise of her daughter and that, and it's this identity that uh, the um, lieutenant tote ends up kind of being also infatuated with and wanting to spark a relationship with but in the meantime there's this other character who we haven't mentioned yet called Fabio and he's like the house librarian castle librarian and probably the um, exact opposite of what the Fabio most people would think yeah. of <laughs> yeah, yeah I didn't even Visually. think of that yeah well but, yeah, you know. he isn't anything like Fabio <laughs> maybe Fabio in 60 years time 60 years time yeah Possibly. that's right maybe not he looked, he's looked a bit of an old old dude but he he starts getting a bit suspicious of these like escapades that are going on within the castle walls um, and um, so that's kind of a bit of a prominent thing that starts happening at that point now eventually uh, the countess kills this prostitute called Ziza um, and um, but uh, th- at this point they realise it doesn't help um, like the uh, the youthful process doesn't seem to be working and it's at this point that um, they uh, Fabio kind of enters the equation and says it's you know your this Dobie guy hasn't been reading the book about blood sac- blood sacrifices properly and um, and he basically says it needs to be um, virgins that needs to be killed for in, in order for it to work so just to recap so he he basically Fabio tells Elizabeth the truth in return for being allowed to live and he says only a virgin sacrifice will work um, now Fabio also at this point so he becomes a bit of a key player at this at this juncture and he tells um, you know he's trying to save his own skin essentially because he's found out the truth and they they don't like the fact that he knows the truth but by aiding um, both Dobie and the Countess he's ho- he's basically hoping that will extend his life and um, he also at this point uh, tells Dobie um, the truth of um, sorry not Dobie he, he tells Tote the truth about his lover but Dobie kills him before he can actually do so so at the point where he's trying to extend out from that circle and try and get let somebody know the truth of what's been happening and the only person he knows to do that is is this tote character but before he can actually do that Dobie kills Fabio which is obviously something you could probably you could probably see coming yeah, um, yeah. and we and we knew that uh, he was on the uh, that Fabio was on their on their backs pretty much the whole time yeah. you can sort of tell he was lurking in the background he probably knows a little more than people give him credit for Yeah, and um, you kind of had the feeling it wasn't going to end well for him when no. he did find out the truth that's it exactly yeah it was definitely a, his number was pretty much made I think he even knew that too which is why he was he starts scrambling yeah. a bit at that point um, now interestingly here as well like at this point Dobie's been like the ever uh, faithful servant to the Countess but she's continues to belittle him in public and really plays him down and there's a scene which alludes to the way she's going to treat him very early on in the movie where they're sat around the dining table and it's her first uh, 
time that she's presenting herself as her daughter and she talks about how her mum had this um, affair, all these affairs when she was um, younger mm. and uh, then it's kind of outs uh, Dobie's character within that point and, and embarrasses him. And that's just a very small part, but she continues to kind of berate him and she keeps trying to promise uh, sexual favours, but they never materialise. So at this point, Dobie's getting a bit pissed off. Yeah, I, I understandably so. He, he, Basically, all the man wants to do in this film is is get laid. And yeah, yeah. He's had this <laughs> and, burning torch for her for years, and she's a colossal the, tease. Yeah. Um, and the point where point where uh, that you know the husband has died, and he thinks that he's finally going to have this chance to be with her, and she comes across this uh, eternal youth thing and starts going after another younger guy, and he's so he's the guy. Just, I'm sure he just can't believe his bad luck, and you can so you can yeah. sort on one level you can sort of uh, relate to his. Um, well, over the course of the film, he gets more and more agitated. I yeah. think. Yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> he does. Um, well, this is this is it, exactly. Can sort of understand his frustration. That's right. From a certain point. Yeah. And so to the point where he then ends up, he's the one that um, forces Tote to um, witness the Countess's true presence to try and jade him away from her, um, and uh, and then uh, Elizabeth, uh, the Countess, tries to turn the tables again though by forcing Tote into marrying her. Um, at the time, at the same time, her daughter Ilona arrives back at the castle because um, I think she manages to escape, doesn't she? In the end, anyway. So she she turns up, but then she's um, quite in, not. She thinks she's escaped, but then she gets imprisoned within the castle walls still. Um, so at this point, you're kind of wondering where where is there going to be any resolution? Things don't seem to be going well. The countess is still getting her way, even though her 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 presence well the way that she's trying to kind of keep her youthful presence um, ongoing is is steadily getting worse because she's having to do it more regularly and every time she turns back as I said she's getting older older that's right it's one of those things that you know like from the very from the very beginning I think when when it's set up that she's found this this way to stay eternally youthful but yeah. you know that it's only a very a temporary thing yes that it can only end you know badly yeah. for for the Countess, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people, but... Well, a lot of people, that's right. So, you know, so so she's basically forcing Tote to marry her. And um, and Elizabeth starts to grow old just at the point where they were, they're due to kind of marry. Um, so she... Oh, no, she, ha- she wants somebody on standby, that's right, um, in case uh, anything would happen during the, the ceremony um, for the wedding. And that's when Davey tries to plot a bit of revenge back on her, and he basically says he's got someone in mind. That's right, because he doesn't actually tell it. No, she, does he? That it's the daughter. That's right. See, I didn't, I didn't quite, didn't quite click with me the f- watching it um, yeah. the first time. It, uh, I sort of assumed that that she was, you know, she knew about it, and she yeah. was completely okay with yeah, her yeah, own daughter, daughter being the one that yeah. she would consume. Yeah, so she's unaware of this, and um, and he does it as a bit of a way to spite her. Now, of course, the uh, the the aging process starts to happen during the ceremony, um, and she really. she freaks out a bit, and um, the uh, they basically um, the Juliet hands the the, the uh, main uh, maiden uh, who uh, waits on the countess uh, hatches a plan with Tote and the daughter to try and free the daughter, and they. Tote says he'll go along with the marriage to try and um, so that they can 
basically escape, you know, so that she can get out of the house of the castle. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, as I said, the aging process starts happening, and then they kind of grab the the daughter to bring her down, and that's at this point that the countess sees who it is, but she's so driven by her desperation and the fact that she's aging that she goes hell-bent to try and kill her own daughter right there mm. in front of everyone. Which is it's kind of silly um, in a way. I mean, yeah. the, the gig's up. Like, everyone knows, yeah, <laughs> knows yeah, what's yeah. going on here. Whether yeah. you whether you de-age yourself or not, um, you're going to be murdering your daughter in front of everyone. That's it's going it. to be the same result either way. Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah, that's but, right. Uh, so she, she goes with full intent to try and kill her daughter, but our hero of the piece, Tote, basically gets in the way and she accidentally kills him instead because um, he tries to save the daughter and basically in that process uh, yeah like you said the gig gig is well and truly up because she's she's killed the person that she's been infatuated with and the reason for her having these that's right um, in her moment of rage moment and of rage. it's another sudden death there's not many slow deaths no no it's not actually it's not. lots of very quick deaths um, and that and that kind of is it. Like everyone, everyone that's anybody is at the wedding, and they witness this thing happening. And um, she's then um, basically her and Dobie are and and the maid actually are sentenced to death for their crimes, um, and are last seen awaiting the handman in their cell. And the last scene we see this like a peasant uh, girl cursing her as devil woman again, and the one and only time it's mentioned. She actually says Countess Dracula mm. as a massive crowbar <laughs> yeah. point. And that's, that's how the movie ends. As a reminder of what you're watching. Um, yeah. I, I, I thought the, the, the women chanting at the end, um, for a moment I thought they may have been uh, women who were related in some way to some of the victims. Sure. I thought I recognised a few faces I there. I could, be mis- I could be mistaken though. I, I, they could, could well be just you know completely random that's good on your part. I didn't. I didn't notice that, but that you, that would make sense. Not only from a story point of view, but from a casting point of view, you keep the people you. That's right. In. But it was also well, maybe they did reuse. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't yeah, intended yeah. to be the same character. It would just make sense if if because they did follow that that thread along uh, yeah, a couple but, of times. They revisited. Yeah. Um, was it a mother? Of, of yeah, there was a mother of the uh, the first handmaiden. Was the one mm. that, that started kind of saying, you know, what's what's happening? Where is she? She's disappeared. And she was constantly being shut down. Yeah, you know? and there's um, a, the point where you know she goes to Captain Davy too and says, you know, uh, you know, where is she? I don't know where she is. And Davy just uh, completely, as you say, shuts it down and says, you know, have you tried the whorehouse? Um, you know, and they're like. Mm. So if that was, you know, if you were that person, you might want to, that may be something that could make you feel good, but standing yeah. outside while uh, the woman that killed um, the daughter you love yeah. is about to be hanged. Yes, yeah, so anyway. Yeah. Um, so this is, um, but they discover the bodies, don't they, at, at, towards the end too, in the yeah, they the do. Kitchen. There's that, just that shot where they're all... I skipped over it a bit, sorry. In the there's that shot down. where they're all piled up yeah. and naked. I'm not sure why they're always naked, but... I guess we it's the only complain. way to get blood from people, isn't it? Otherwise, it will get all on the clays. I don't know. No, I don't. <laughs> you know a lot about them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, apparently that's what I heard. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, you're right. So like, interesting. So like, before we go into like a bit more detail about thoughts on the movie, we'll get to that down the track. What initial thoughts? What reaction to it? Yeah, I think, as you said, I, I think it it does feel slow, and I think mostly most of that. Can be put down to the fact that there's just not enough plot. 
yeah. to justify the, the running time. Yeah, yeah. I think there's not enough developments within the plot um, to sort of move it along. Yeah. And yeah, I, th- I think we're, it happens pretty early on that she discovers that she can be eternally youthful. Yes. And from then on, it's just, you know, body after body after body. Yeah. Um, and it, it sort of doesn't... I can't clearly see that three-act structure yeah, yeah. Um, quite as well as, it, as, no, I, no. as I can with some other that's some right. other horror, home horror films. Um, I think that's probably the main the main weakness of it. Yeah, but I agree. Um, having said that, there it does definitely does have its merits. There's always there's always standout moments in all yeah, these films. Yeah, yeah, and, and we'll we'll get to that towards the end. And you're right, there there are some moments of it. I honestly struggled with this one uh, in compare when I compare it to other Hammer films, it it feels weak. Um, there are better movies that were made, and I do go back to the fact that I wonder if it was just this uh, with. Um, both director and producer biting heads a bit that it it lost its direction a little it is that it's interesting you raise that point about whether it's got its foot in being like a historical mm. uh, film or something based on fact or whether it's trying to be a fun hammer horror film yeah and just really celebrate the gore and the um, yeah the body count and it, it does it probably just trying to do a bit of both and because of that it's unfocused in a way yeah and um yeah. I think that shows. Yeah, no, I agree. But um, I agree. yeah, definitely some highlights though. All right, cool. Well, let's let's just start talking about the uh, the players of the piece, the you know the the actors that are portrayed in this movie, um, before we then kind of wrap things up. So let we, we spoke about you, Ingrid Pitt last time around. Anyway, um, here she is again playing the the leaders count the countess Elizabeth Nodesheen is the title of her, her name within this movie. Um, <laughs> Now, uh, she's, as I said, mentioned she, she was in uh, Vampire Lovers. She was also very briefly in Beyond the Rave, which we will talk about in another podcast down the track. But like, interestingly, like, for this particular movie, she was apparently dubbed uh, for points within the, for the Countess. Not for the whole film, just for I certain... I think for certain bits, yeah. And you notice it if you watch it. And she was furious when she found out about it and apparently uh, uh, walked up to Peter Sazdy and pushed him into the sea <laughs> um, oh well could have been could have been worse interesting I'd... moment yeah um, when they next met up well that was after you know when they next met uh, and I can understand because she she is um, uh, you know uh, she is an Eastern European woman and she is playing a Hungarian uh, per, uh, countess in this movie and yet her accent wasn't deemed fit <laughs> It is it is scattered and yeah so, I, I guess I guess it's something they didn't post without without consulting yeah, her yeah you know they could have I, I guess they could have given her the opportunity to come in and yeah well like do it, it, herself, well, like it sounds like because I read her her biography this was um, and uh, called Ingrid Pitt Queen of Horror and um, you know the, it's but you know there's an she talks about her role within Countess and you know she was. Furious, but there's also that she it sounded like she put a lot of herself into the role and was really quite passionate about her uh, performance. And to then, I can imagine like coming into the screen and kind of you know, for the screening of it, and then seeing that you've been completely dubbed throughout the movie. I guess maybe they thought she wouldn't notice, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's a little... oh, yeah, I think it's a bit 
bit evident. Anyway, look, so that's that was something that I found interesting. Outside of that, there's just um, Ingrid Pitt has said, uh, so she was in um, a couple of other movies, which I did mention in the previous podcast we spoke about, but I do want to repeat them. Um, she was in The House That Dripped Blood. She was in The Wicker Man, which uh, evidently is having its 40th anniversary this year. And uh, she was also in Who Dares Wins, Smiley's People, and a couple of Doctor Who episodes. Um, she also wrote um, several children's books as well, which people might not be aware of, and uh, wrote an autobiography called Life's a Scream. Um, she's been labelled as like Hammer's most emblematic leading lady, and I, I can see why. Uh, you know, we mentioned this in the previous podcast. She is a very kind of watchable person on the mm. screen. Um, and she probably doesn't get the same chance in this. No, uh, to be sexy in the way that she did in, in Vampire Lovers. I mean, basically, no. every a... every scene in that in that particular film, um, yeah, yeah, she's she's a seductress and that's and it. Yeah. I mean, she's she's doing that a little bit of that here, but mostly because of like the aging yeah. that's applied to her, and you know, she is essentially an older woman. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of aging up process. I didn't mind the makeup actually, just coincidentally on that. I just I thought it was okay. Yeah, I mean. Considering the time, yeah, um, it was actually quite impressive. It's it's no American Werewolf in London. Exactly, yeah, that same exactly. Caliber. Hence why I say it was okay. Yeah, yeah it every, was... anything pre that time. You yeah, know, yeah. You got to you got to you got to be right. impressed by what they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, correct. But yeah, she's she's hidden underneath that makeup for a big chunk of the film. Yeah, which which probably makes it harder for it to ha- to act. Um, yeah, agree. Anyway, agree. But, but I think I think she held her own. But you're right; she it's it's a far cry from her role as Camilla in. Yeah, I mean, if you if you were gonna give someone you know a great example of if if you're gonna look at that that statement, um, Hammer's most emblematic leading lady, I yeah. think you'd probably give someone vampire lovers to look at. And yeah, they'd yeah, probably would agree. Agree Whereas yeah. this one doesn't really marry up to that statement. Not really. quite. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the last thing just really on that is that Ingrid Pitt actually reprised her role as Countess Elizabeth on the 1998 Cradle of Filth album Cruelty and the Beast where she does some narration in it too um, so I thought that was kind of a kind of a cool thing that she did for that what yeah that was some time later as well yes it was yeah fair, fair time down there's the track some fans, there's some different fans out there so other other people within the role uh, the film to kind of quickly take note of is that uh, we have Leslie Ann Down who played Elona Nodashin. This is the Countess's daughter. Interesting about her is that she was um, in her teenage years she had won several beauty pageants. She was voted beautiful Britain's most beautiful teenager at the age of fifteen. Was in her second marriage was actually to film director William Friedkin. Now he's the mm. guy behind The Exorcist and French Connection. Uh, you know, outside of that, she it didn't really do much. She was portrayed. She portrayed Georgina Worsley on the popular British series Upstairs and Downstairs from 1973 to 75. So that was the original series, not the the remake uh, of recent years. Um, she played the role of uh, Stephanie Rogers in the drama series Dallas, which was very big during the 80s too um, and, and then played the role of Jacqueline Payne Marone on CBS's The Bold and the Beautiful so there's a very definite theme going on here with the, with the soaps right. I'm, I'm actually surprised she wasn't in a Bond film it's sort of a tendency in these in yeah. these, these Hammer Horror films for the younger actresses to, to turn up catch the eye of <laughs> yeah. Roger Moore or, right, yeah, or yeah, one yeah. of the broccolis indeed, and to indeed. end up in the I mean especially if she was voted yeah. you know most beautiful teenager at, at 15 that's right that's right now she um, just the last kind of 
credit really that was probably of note. She was in the Pink Panther Strikes again as well. Um, so she did crop up in one of those franchise movies, um, just not a Bond one. Uh, like her performance was okay in this. She doesn't really do anything. Yeah, she's night. the helpless kind of. Yeah, she plays the victim card really that's well. That's right, and she's she's, she's quite gorgeous, yeah. but um, yeah. you don't get to see much of her, no. which is a shame. No, you don't. You don't. Uh, I thought there was might be a chance of a bit of Stockholm syndrome. Um, that may occur and uh, oh, between okay. her and the yeah, and the yeah, thug yeah yeah that had a, a you know, she, she was going to start teaching lure him on and that's right I yeah. thought she was going to start teaching him how to how to speak and yeah they'd form some kind it'd be this this weird subplot that would go <laughs> yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. have nothing to do that would be quite interesting but, yeah spin off I lack an alas it wasn't to be um, yeah okay so outside of that the only other notable woman really is the the kitchen maid lady who was. Marion Stone. Uh, now she, the reason I want to note her is because she crops up in a few Hammer films. She was in the Quatermass Experiment, Quatermass Two. Uh, had an uncredited role in Hell Is a City. Was in Paranoiac, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, Hysteria, and of course Countess Dracula, of which we are talking about. Uh, she appeared in many films from like the early forties to the late nineteen eighties, usually playing like a um, working class kind of part, you know, like a barmaid or secretary of, of, of the like. Probably best known for her contribution to the Carry On films, though. So there again, another connection to Carry On um, within the Hammer films, um, where she appeared in like nine in total and took part in an episode of the Carry On Laughing television series as well, which was called The Case of the Screaming Winkles. Um, other films to note, she was in A Night to Remember, The 39 Steps, I'm Alright Jack, The Day the Earth Caught Fire, The Night of the Prowler, The Vault of Horror, and The Creeping Flesh. So she was quite a prominent uh, yeah. actress around those. I mean, Carry On, it was massive. So yeah. it's just, it's like, as you keep saying, it's like, in all likelihood, there's always going to be at least one of these actors that's either Doctor Who, Carry On, yeah. James Bond. It's just like, yeah, exactly. exactly. Th- those British uh, film, television series that have been so big and were around for a long time yeah, yeah. guaranteed someone's going to end up in them that's it that's it Yeah, no, she and these are all shot in Pinewood as well so yeah that's true she yeah. has a strong yeah. link with, with James Bond that's it exactly exactly so it's no wonder that they kind of crop up in those films mm. throughout and you know she does a, a stolid performance within it too you know holds her own um, just very quickly just want to go through some of the male male actors within it we have uh, Captain Doby played by Nigel Green um, now, he died of um, an alleged accidental overdose of sleeping pills, tragically, um, in 1972. Um, and I think, I want to say this was like the last movie he did. Well, that's, yeah. Because this was 1971 uh, that the movie was made. So, yeah, it kind of was a bit bit eerie that he wouldn't be gracing the screens after that. He was he was known for, I mean, he's quite a big guy. His stature, you know, he's quite a prominent figure. And he was in quite a lot of, like, movies because of that. Uh, because of his build he was in Reach for the Sky The League of Gentlemen Sword of Sherwood Forest Jason and the Argonauts um, The Face of Fu Manchu and more known and probably playing the role of Sergeant Frank Bourne in Zulu uh, which was the Michael Caine kind of flick yeah so as I said like he died following an, an overdose of sleeping pills and it's unknown if his death was intentional or not uh, apparently Peter O'Toole had said on his commentary on the ruling class that he believes Green was very depressed at the time and that his death shortly after filming ended was probably intentional although his family believe it to be unintentional um, 
So yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean it's. Um, I mean, it's sounds like it was very soon after filming, kind of finished. But yeah, I thought he was good in this movie though. As a, as an aside, like I yeah, he he was, was, he was, was ex- interesting. He was extremely frustrated. Yeah, uh, yeah, extremely frustrated character. So you can, as I said, you can kind of understand where his agitation comes from. That's he had right. a splendid beard. Yeah, I love <laughs> that full on beard. Was there was awesome. lot, there was just so much going on there. Yeah, yeah. It's just takes it takes a while to take in its full form. No, no, that's colors, right. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, he's he's obviously very hard done by. But yeah. you can sort of tell that from the very opening when they read out the will, mm. and he he's not too happy with the result of that. And that just yeah. that's just the start of it. Yeah, that's and then right. From there, yeah. it just it, kind of everything's get... downhill for the character after that, isn't it? Okay, cool. Um, just the other big probably male actor left was uh, the guy that played Lieutenant Emery Tort, who was also a Hungarian guy. Um, um, his name is Sandor Ellis or Els. I'm not sure how you pronounce that correctly. Outside of Countess Dracula, he also cropped up in another Hammer vehicle called The Evil of Frankenstein. Um, a bit of background on him. As I said, he was a Hungarian-born actor, lost his parents during World War II and emigrated to Britain in the aftermath of the Hungarian uprising of 1956. Uh, he acted on stage and in various films, uh, the latter finding him frequently as Russian defectors or KGB agents or Nazi officers. Um, and the only other real film uh, to note him in was a film that was called And Soon the Darkness. Um, his, his role, in, I mean, like he... I mean, I wouldn't have say he. I wouldn't have said he stood out per se in this movie, uh, but you yeah. do feel for him, particularly when mm. he, like, there's a bit, there's a scene where he's like, he, I think they're by a river with him and Countess, and he's looking at her, and he actually genuinely feels like he's falling in love with her. Yeah. Um, and you know, you're watching this kind of feeling a lot of empathy towards his character because you you know that he's just heading into trouble. Sure. Yeah. Um, and the part where he, you know, is aware of who she is, and yet he's forced into marrying her. Yeah, he's kind of forced into um, into this deal, with, and, and you know, also yeah. is the guy who dies at the end. You know, well, so yeah, she's little does he know well for him, he's but, being seduced by a cougar, but yeah, yeah. he 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 gets there's sort of a change in his character, a clear mm. change, I think, about halfway through. Yeah, when he does, I think it's 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 probably after he passes out, having slept with well not really almost yeah. slept with the prostitute and he sort of realizes what he's what he's got himself into and i think yeah. i think it's um he became much more likable i think from there onwards i think because yeah. you really you genuinely felt bad for the guy um i think before, right. beforehand i think he seemed a little cocky and yeah. kind of yeah, you know did. not fully um respectful yeah. of of the situation what was going on but i yeah. i think you kind of felt for him a bit after that and he really yeah, he kind of his character completely changes from then on. Oh yeah, sort he's, of like he's, a black cloud hanging over his head. That's right. He's really stripped down into this. Mm. Set. Like you say, he's very cocky to begin, but by yeah. the end of it, he's just a very withdrawn. And that's sort of, I think the the performance itself. I wasn't immediately taken to, um, you know, his performance. But then I think towards the end, I think I was a little more impressed with some of the things that he did dramatically. Yeah. In that performance. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, even the, the climax, his climax was... It was yeah, some of the darker scenes. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, cool. I'm going to kind of whip through the, the last four male actors to note within the really, really quickly. We've got Maurice Denham, who, you know, he already cropped up in Paranoiac, Hysteria, Countess Dracula, had appeared in like over 100 television 
programs and films throughout his long career. Um, uh, he provided all the voices for the animated version of Animal Farm as well, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, would crop up in uh, The Day of the Jackal playing General Colbert and also Sunday Bloody Sunday playing Mr. Greville. Um, so quite a prominent uh, actor again, which again, Hammer have been noted for that. Car- their casting was always second to none. Um, also, there was a, a guy called Peter Jeffrey. Um, and now, he, interesting with him is that he'd, uh, he re- reputed had been offered the role of the lead character in Doctor Who. Um, and um, but he was, uh, uh, but he was uh, eventually. I think he turned it down, and then it was Patrick Troughton who was cast instead at that time. So it was the second Doctor phase. Um, he also cropped on a lot of films. He was in If and of a Thousand Days, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, Midnight Express, Return of the Pink Panther, and The Odessa File. That's quite a few. Yeah, stuff so a couple of couple of good CVs there. Lastly, I just want to nod to Leon Lissek. Um, you know, and also Charles Farrell, who had become uh, uh, he was in the Vampire Lovers too, in a similar kind of role as the bar, you know, the barman kind of character yeah. guy yeah. as well, um, and was uh, yeah uh, turned up as a, a, a not I wouldn't say a regular, but because of his two performances, you know, he became a bit of a, a known face in that circle. Um, Quickly then, uh, moving on to the director, Peter Sazdi. I did mention him at the beginning of the podcast. Um, he, uh, ha- in Hammer Circles, he was quite prominent, did quite a few things. He did uh, a Journey into the Unknown, which was their first attempt at TV series. Um, and he did two episodes from that, Girl of My Dreams and The New People. He directed Taste the Blood of Dracula. So he's cropped up in a movie that we've discussed in a previous podcast before. Uh, alongside Countess Jackler, of course, did uh, Hands of the Ripper, and also Hammer House of Horror, which was the big uh, TV series that Hammer did in the 80s, um, which was very successful. And within that, he did a couple of episodes. He did Visitor from the Grave, Rude Awakening, and the 13th Reunion. Um, yeah, so very prominent within the Hammer, Hammer circle. He directed Pia Zadora in the cult classic The Lonely Lady, uh, of which he actually earned a Razzie Award for Worst Director, um, which kind of uh, maybe says a lot about this particular movie and where we may be sitting on the fence with it. I'm not sure. Um, in 1990, sorry, in 1977, he directed Welcome to Blood City. This was the first film in the virtual reality genre um, that would later produce, uh, you know, like films like The Matrix and The Truman Show. Um, it's, it's probably something that you'd like to claim yeah. fame to as opposed to the Razzie like, Award I think yeah it was quite good look back on that um, but he should also be proud of also like he was uh, the main director for a in, the, in 1987 um, as uh, uh, sorry, from 1985 to 1987 he directed the Thames TV production of The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole aged 13 and 3 quarters which was a huge kids show um, in Britain at the time based on a very successful novel too um, yeah he's um, he's a very uh, as I say prominent uh, director within Hammer Circles um, I, I think he did a fairly good job in Taste of the Blood of Dracula I think he tried his best at this movie I question whether he succeeded yeah I, I wonder how much if his heart was fully in it yeah um, or whether there was a bit of interference going on there and yeah. that kind of that's um, right. Damaged, damaged his vision for the film. Mm, yeah, but um, 
Well, there you go. So, uh, lastly, I just want to say also, to music-wise as well, great score in this. It was, uh, you know, Harry Robertson again, who had come on board for Lust for a Vampire, The Vampire Lovers, and Twins of Evil. And in addition, he also did Demons of the Mind. Um, we spoke about how powerful the music was uh, in The Vampire Lovers, and you can feel it here too. It's yeah, it's probably, probably not quite as... Um, not as strong as, uh, sorry, as vampire lovers. No, no I think there's a, but there's a few cues in the in the yeah. film that really kind of lifted. I think, and yeah. they, they're sort of the jump moments. I think that's right. There's yeah. a few, uh, especially when you know the trail of victims are first revealed. In, I can think of one in particular where um, the woman's found in the forest by the two little boys that are playing. That's right. It's the naked corpse. Yes, and um, there's a nice cue there, and I yeah. think. It's little flourishes like that that make these scores so much fun to listen to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was, it was kind of, in the background, it wasn't as prominent. No, as... not this time around. And I wonder if that was a cue from the director again, because it it's like, almost like this doesn't feel like a Hammer film for me. Like, it feels like a lot yeah. of that's been uh, almost muffled, you know? It's yeah. like they put a silencer on it. And, uh, and <laughs> it kind of goes for, for everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Across to the music. Like, yeah. It's almost like a, a more traditional yeah. um, score. That's right. And no, you're right. There's Absolutely. less of there's less of those fine flourishes that we that we enjoy so much. Mm. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Cool. Well, that kind of wraps up the the, the players of the piece. So, what, what final thoughts on the movie? Any favourite moments? Um, yeah, I do think that, as I said before, I, I just thought there was there was probably a little too little plot. For the for the running time, yeah. Um, but at least character wise, um, you in the in Elizabeth and um, the captain. I think you got two pretty evil characters there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of you're not really sure at first if he's if the captain's just like a pawn for her. Yeah, and will be for the whole film or not. But it turns out you know he starts to get his back towards the end. He he, he kind of yeah, he does. has his own plan, and yeah. he wants to try and you know get what he wants yes. and he sort of goes against her a, a bit yeah um, but I think in terms of um, two characters that will do anything to get what they want I yeah. think they're, they're, they're strong in that in that way yeah, and yeah. that kind of keeps you interested so I'm just kind of trying to think of things that kept me interested while I was while I was watching the film yeah due to the due to the slow pace yeah um, I, I was asking myself a few questions throughout about certain character choices uh, I'm curious as to why Elizabeth hates her daughter so much in the first place yeah it's interesting I th- isn't it I, th- I mean yeah. obviously it's never kind of revealed but you know she's just evil maybe it's just because evil. I wonder if it's just because her daughter represents youth and yeah I mean that, I, that she's if we're talking about a film uh, a theme in the film yeah. I guess it's that yeah yeah the, uh, pursuit of like the eternal youth, and but it's not. It's not. It's never really explained, is it? Like no, like not, not going really. back to your point of raising it, it's, it, it does seem a bit strange. Where there was just, kind of an event in the past, or yeah. or this woman is just obsessed with, you know, wanting to be young. Yes. And yes. Sort of hating on yes. anyone who is young. That's it. Um, uh, I, I, other things I kind of, I kind of noticed that were a bit odd were, the the love scenes between. Uh, between Toth and uh, Elizabeth, yeah. I, I sort of thought that the, just the, the kissing was 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 pretty awkward, and and some of the love scene, like the haystack scene in particular, yeah, when they're yeah. making out on the haystack, yeah. it was it was a little strange. It was kind of like 
I couldn't quite figure out whether they were trying to be that was them trying to be sexy or <laughs> that was them trying to show that a young man making out with an old woman who's in a young person's body was, was, was there's always something up there a little off I yeah. I just I still think it's actually to do with the fact that he was just trying to I just felt the whole movie personally just felt like a really dumbed down version of Hammer and I think it, it just doesn't smack with like the, the typical gothic horror that yeah. film that we've come to love in, in you know in recent years and um, of the films that we've been looking at um, and the sex is another part of it you know it's it yeah. does, it feels like it's dumbed down it feels like it's not it's like they probably didn't know whether to overact or just yeah. play it straight so it kind of ends up in the so I, yeah I've got to I've got to say I, I yeah I'm, I'm not I'm I mean if it's not clear I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of this particular movie yeah um, and really <laughs> I just struggle with it, and every time I try and give it its benefit of the doubt, and I, I generally came in, come, came into it with this podcast record, uh, in the way that you've approached it, actually trying to find the good things within it as you're watching it, and there yeah. are, like you say, the two main characters are actually really interesting, and and their yeah. power and uh, lust that drives them through is actually quite an interesting topic. Yeah, I just wish they'd gone further with that. Yeah. they could have, they could have I, made I, them I, even more. Yeah. I felt like that's what they were missing out on. Like they really needed to open up the gore factor more mm. and really show the macabre sense of the deeds that they are doing. Because if we're talking about a story based on three hundred women being killed yeah. by someone, you yeah. know, you, you hope the body count would probably be a little bit higher. That's it. I mean, it's pretty steady throughout the film, but the level of gore mm. is probably less than some other films yeah. we've watched. And yeah, that's right. Uh, that felt a little safe. The, uh, there's a bit and I'm pretty sure and I'm, I might be misquoting but I'm pretty sure I also read that Ingrid Pitt was saying how she felt that you know agreed with that you know felt that it should have had more blood and gore uh, particularly if you know the story of Elizabeth, Count Elizabeth the, uh, the, the historical figure um, there's a missing this opportunity where you could have had uh, a body kind of um, winched up over a bloodbath and you cut, cut it open and she just kind of sh- is showered with blood <laughs> would be well, awesome now, she is covered in blood at one point. She is at one point. And that's, that's the bit, that's the reveal bit, isn't it? Where yeah, he brings well, him in and, when he first works out. And, yeah. it, and she's sort of, you know, half naked. And it's a, it's a good image it's for a good the image. film. Like, it yeah. sums up the film quite well. Yeah. I think it might even be the dress that she's wearing on the, the front cover of the, of the poster. Yeah, yeah. Or one of the posters. But she's, um, she's, um, she's embarrassed to be called out, too, at that point, which I thought was quite actually quite interesting. It, she, she's, more, she's happy to do these deeds in secret. Yeah, um, but to be she doesn't of, want it. Yeah, she no. she doesn't want it to kind of end. So I guess yeah, she'll do whatever she has to. But then yeah, that's it. He from that from that point onwards, he's kind of caught under. You know, he's got no choice now. He's sort of no, that's it. Yeah, it. Exactly. but yeah, she's that. That's probably the bloodiest it gets. I think yeah. in that scene, and no, that's sort right. of an aftermath of a, of a killing. Yeah, we um, ne- we never witness any real killing, no. though, do we? Per se, like it's no. not. It's not not to the degree that we've seen in, as I said, in previous Hammer films. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It just felt for me, it just felt a lesser film because of that. Um, yeah, just uh, just interesting. Also, just as a side note, too, like Hammer have been releasing a, a set of novels anyway. Um, some are original novels, some are um, based on uh, some of the films of the past, and they they've done a one of Countess Dracula, and I think I want to say it's Guy Adams that wrote that one. Um, I'll correct it if I'm wrong in in, a, in on the web page, but it's um, 
and, and I've, I've I've read it recently, and they it, what I found interesting is that they t- he, the guy took the subject matter and basically moved it to modern uh, to um, like nineteen fifties Hollywood, and there she's not a countess but a big film star. Oh, I see, yeah. And she's somebody that's on the way out, but needs wants to regain like her looks. Boulevard kind of exactly kind of deal. And it actually worked out really well. And you know, I don't want to give anything away to the book, but they do something a bit interesting with the Dobie, the Dobie character within that too. And they're actually a husband and wife team in it, not um, separated. You know, like right. um, within it. And it's an interesting thing they do with the relationship they, within that. Maybe we could see a film. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's, I, that's, I I felt it was a logical fit. Like I I yeah, felt like does. when you translate that into in Hollywood and this kind of um, compulsive behaviour to try and be youthful with all the plastic surgery and all this stuff that mm. that's going on with modern Hollywood stars to um, prolong their film and screen presence in the media mm. as long as possible. And I thought it was quite interesting because it fits really nicely within this story arc. It's so oh, that's, a, that's on the side. No, I it is. It's clever. It good. Just, just a note on the... mentioned the, the relationship between the Countess and, and Dobie. I, mm. I was trying to think, you know, before her husband passed away, obviously the captain and, and himself were, I'm guessing, good friends. Yeah, I think so. But are we... Is the assumption that um, the Countess and the Captain were sort of going behind his back and yeah, yeah, quite the, some time that had been going on? Yeah, it's alluded, yeah, that there was they were having an affair. Yeah. Um, and so when the guy, when the husband passes away, um, the Dobie character naturally presumes that he will be able to be more open in there. As you, as you would assume. <laughs> yeah. So but, um, that's, just a, that's just another nail in the coffin for him because yeah. I guess... Yeah, he assumed right. that that was, as we, as with the possessions and the will, he assumed that that was his, his right to, to get that yeah. following following the death of the husband. I see. It. I guess exactly. it just didn't work out that way. No, no. So that's kind of that's kind of it, really. I do you have any other favorite moments? That you uh, want to probably or? the favorite moments. I'd say the one that stands out is probably the reveal of, um, the hanging of, of Fabio. I think. Yeah. There's a great there's a because the production values in this probably aren't quite up to the scratch of say a recently watched Vampire Lovers yeah it's kind of immediately obvious that um, yeah not quite as much effort has gone to kind of hiding the um, lack of lack of money they would have had for things like that yeah I think but I think there's one particular scene where they get fairly creative with the lighting yeah and I think it's tough actually it's it's a slow scene the music's good the lighting's good Toss sort of makes his way up the staircase and there's a, there's a great sort of camera pan where the body of Fabio is revealed hanging from the ceiling and we, yeah. we start to hear Dobie talking yeah. off, off camera and we slowly pan down to him and it's just kind of eerie and I think the music and the, and the lighting together work, work quite well yeah. and I think it's effective and it's generally, um, it's kind of creepy. Yeah. But it's also, you're kind of in suspense because it, there's, a, there's a slow gradual lead up to the moment of reveal where we do see Fabio. Yeah. And that was kind of like, felt like a different film or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It does feel completely different at that but, point. Uh, I, yeah. wonder if, I wonder if the director uh, maybe connected with the Fabio character more. Um, maybe. Hence why I wanted to make more of that. I mean, it's the only death scene outside of Tote's death at the very end. That that's right, that isn't, isn't, uh, isn't for the purposes of, of yeah. the Countess's 
um, That's drained right. the blood of the virgins. So maybe it's more. Maybe it was more to do with that, which which seems a bit odd because like the whole the whole deed that the countess, the actions that she's doing in killing these women is is has become a bit like offhand. It's like, but if you actually scrutinise that mm. and look at what she's doing in order that I think there's more horror in that if they played that up a bit more yeah and you know and her and the fact they're that she very, is easy to rebut them uh, because they are just serving a purpose well they're kind her. of like it's like they're just lambs for the slaughter kind yeah. of thing it's just they're disposed of very quickly and yeah when they it. when they kill fabio they sort of cross a line yeah and that's probably what he was trying to emphasize Maybe, yeah, in yeah, that yeah. scene yeah but it just had a lot more impact yeah. i guess yeah. they probably couldn't afford to dedicate screen time to every single killing no, in no. the same way no I just thought it was a, a, a good scene. Yeah, no. Um, and the very last scene, even though it was, it was you know, the logical ending, um, I thought it was maybe maybe a tad, maybe a tad rushed, the very end. Yeah, yeah. It felt that but, too. Like I, I, like I, I. That's why I made a particular uh, comment at the beginning of the podcast about the, the real life character Elizabeth was actually walled into her castle. Um, so she was kind of imprisoned like they oh, walled everything up and I thought that would have been a really good ending yeah, like she's gosh. just trapped within her own madness essentially because she's going mad mm. by the end of the movie um, more and more so and I would have thought that would have been really a really cool way to end because it is kind of you know it, it is kind of dark the way it does end the chanting mm. is kind of eerie the yeah. images of the hangman coming in it's just like she's really got her comeuppance here yeah. but that would have been you know that would have been a great yeah, kind just, of last would have been a... shot before the credits roll. Yeah, you know, just the final final brick in the wall. Yeah, exactly. Kind of Being up. I just thought that would have been like really kind of wow. Okay, that's full on. But anyway, that's that's that. So um, yeah, so I, I guess as I said, I I didn't favour this one so much. I mean, how did you feel um, overall? Yeah, overall, I think it was it was, I think a bit too slow yeah. for a film of this type. Mm. Um, and I, I just felt the only thing, the only reason you'd probably want to want to see this one is Ingrid Pitt, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you, you wouldn't come to it for the for the gore because there's just not enough no, of it. That's the right. music's not quite up to the usual Hammer no. horror sc- scratch. And I think, um, but I think because of her history as an actress and and just you know, yeah, a, as a uh, as a film in the the Hammerhorror canon I think she's probably the reason to, to visit this one yeah, yeah I think so too I think I think that's the only real saving grace is that she's in it really mm. um, but yeah it's, I just I just really struggled but anyway that's our thoughts um, I mean if you're out there and have your own comments on, on the movie in question uh, you know give us a, uh, a holler let us know email us send a comment on Facebook whatever um so that kind of concludes our review of uh, Countess Dracula. Uh, um, next time we will be looking at this seventh film instalment, Vampire Circus. I'll be joined by Miles Davis for that one. Um, just leads me to say thank you again, Ben, for your uh, input into <laughs> Countess Dracula and um, love to have you on board again down the track. Lovely. Enjoy. And um, thank you again, listeners. Uh, we'll catch you next time. <laughs> the most terrifying of them all. The Countess Dracula. Julie! Have I changed so much? I don't know what's happened to me. Blood. Whose blood? Devil woman.